Have you seen the popular TV show, Parenthood? This show, I love this show. And on season five, episode 17, once again, there's trouble at the Bravermans. This time, the trouble comes in the form of Renee Trussell, the mother-in-law of Jasmine. She is demanding that Aida, their new daughter, be baptized. So it's this like epic, awkward struggle in the living room of the mother-in-law who wants the child to be baptized and Crosby, the son-in-law, who just thinks this is the wrong timing to do a baptism. And then Jasmine, of course, is caught in the middle of her mom and her son-in-law. And of course, what's great about parenthood is they're going to voice all that awkwardness right in front of you. And like there is nothing hidden in the Braverman family. It all comes out. That's why we love the Bravermans, right? And so there's this tension and you get to see this like really amazing conversation of of the the well-intentioned mother-in-law who wants this baptism to happen and the son-in-law and the daughter who are saying, ah, maybe not right now, mom. We don't know what we think about baptism. We're not really sure. We're, We're sort of struggling and wrestling with what it could mean. And so there's this dramatic tension in the plot from the very beginning. And the show itself is called Limbo. And of course, limbo is uh, this word that Catholic theology uses to say this place between heaven and hell, right? And so it has this double phrase of like this tension between the mother-in-law and the son-in-law and, and then this tension between what will happen, the fate of this baby. And it gets really heated at the Bravermans when um, the mother-in-law just goes all in with her reason and she says, it's not like I'm asking you to get the baby a haircut. This is Aida's soul I'm talking about. <laughs> right? This is like the, all the good stuff of this family conversation. And so this limbo, this uncertainty, and, and I don't know about you, but we all live in with, uh, with our family and, and things in family change. So I think about like my great grandpa and all that he believed in, all that he stood for. Then I think about my grandpa, then I think about me, and then I think about my son. And like, it's, uh, as we grow as human beings, our thoughts about things change, our ideas change. We shift, culture is shifting. And, and so there's this like generational tension that we all have to deal with of changing mindsets and changing worldviews because life is always dynamic. It never stays static or the same. Life is this dynamic, dynamic river that we're a part of. And so, like, this is exemplified perfectly by, I shared with my mom some, like, indie music I've been listening to. And my mom's face was like, oh, and all her comment was, why are they whining all the time in that music, Dale? And music preferences change, right? And we know that, like, that awkward tension of, like, something that a parent we held so strongly, and then with our kids is like, oh, they don't think this way about it at all, right? (laughs) And I remember... uh, just on and on we could all tell stories about these generational shifts and changes and it's ever more so with the Christian faith we are in the most sort of um, cataclysmic change in Christian faith in American history this 500 year cycle and so things that our parents believe we don't believe in it there's things that are up in the air and the scholar Phyllis Tickle says every 500 years the church has a yard sale and it's a funny way of getting at this reality that we're all struggling with what does it mean to be a person of faith? And what does baptism mean for us today? And what does it mean when we break the bread and drink the cup and we gather together? And these are good questions. These are important questions. And the Bravermans have a way of bringing this out in comedic fashion, right? Well, at the very end of the show, this tension is still going on and the baptism is going to happen. And, but Crosby, in this moment of like 
honest confession, but also a bit of jab to his mother-in-law, says this at the dinner table. I don't believe in a God that would send a little baby to hell, and I can't believe that you do. So you're like, oh my gosh, at the dinner table, Braverman's, you don't hold anything back, right? And, and so you have this like thrown out again, this like conversation of theology, right? Like, like, um, like a conversation of politics, right? Both awkward in our families. And, but this like deep truthfulness about something in one period of Christianity we held that if babies weren't baptized, they went to hell. This is this ancient idea that comes from Augustine and comes in the Middle Ages. And we, most of us today, we don't hold that view anymore. We see this as a symbol of God's love for us and this symbol that God goes with us no matter where our lives are. And so Crosby and Renee, his mother-in-law, they are battling this conversation because Christianity, if it's nothing else, is this great conversation of what we're going to believe and what's gonna be important for our kids and our kids' kids. And it's this, uh, this song written across time and the Bravermans give us that little example of what it's like in our families, the tension that we all live into. And that is a beautiful example. Oh yeah, here, here's Crosby voicing his concern. Hey, well done on the pastor reverend, right? Uh, you don't often see a woman pastor. And what I love about the show, side note, free time, um, she is not phased by the, the drama at the table. And I love that. It was like the pastor is unfazed by this conversation of theology and baptism. So the story goes on, gets the, the, the baby, baby Ieta gets baptized. We all sing joy, it's wonderful. But um, this is a perfect window into the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is about this great conversation of our faith. The Gospel of Matthew inspires us to this conversational reality of every type of faith. And the key verse of the Gospel of Matthew, a verse that's not in any of the other Gospels is this. It's, it's a weird verse. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This verse, the only time any gospel quotes this verse, it's right here. And it's giving us this incredible insight into what the Gospel of Matthew wants to tell us about Christian faith. What it wants to tell us is the very heart, the very root of this thing. And so the Gospel of Matthew is asking this important question. What does Jesus mean to those of us who have been Jewish most of our life? Because this gospel, it quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel. It's concerned with um, Jewish tradition and Jewish understandings, but it's bringing all that tradition to understand who Jesus is all about. And so we're gonna break this down. Every scribe, a scribe in the ancient world was one who had the skill of writing. So you would go down to the market if you wanted to respond to Uncle Ron who had to move to West Galilee and this scribe would write this letter for you. Or this scribe would um, translate this version of the Bible for the priest to read. So a scribe was a writer, a scribbler, someone who had this gift. And in our world, a scribe is any one of us who has uh, a voice and who has said, this Christian way is for me, and I don't have all the right answers, but a scribe is each one of us in our ability to tell people or to show people that this Christian faith is about love. A scribe is every disciple, every follower, every one of us. And then it has this interesting word, we've been trained, right? As, as uh, interesting, like in the ancient world, they thought about the ancient Olympics and the, the training that an athlete would have to go through. In our world, we think about Steph Curry and how amazing his jump shot is, right? 
and, um, and this training, this sort of mus- musicians and how they have to learn their chords over and over again, practice their songs. And so this is this call that every one of us live in this training of faith. And this, is, um, this idea that's here is so beautiful. Our faith never is static. Human beings are always in movement. So what's exciting to me is whether we are in this pattern of our life of growth or decline or whether in this holding pattern, there is movement nonetheless. We are all these great people and in movement together and faith is just like that. Faith is not so much a stagnant lake, but this river with tributaries that is always running, always charting new ground and going in new places, freshly flowing. And so we have to be people who are aware that Christian faith doesn't stay the same that our beliefs about things don't stay the same. Something arises in culture, something new, something fascinating, and we have to ask questions about it, and we have to take the Bible and pull it into the future. And so a previous generation had to ask questions, how do we think about suffering in light of the Holocaust? Our generation has a lot of questions to ask about, how do we think about science? The, the amazing explosion of what neuroscience and other sciences have taught us caused us to say, what does that mean to faith? And these questions are good and wonderful things. We, we, right now we're in a major battle in American history. What do we think about sexuality in the Bible? And so these questions are good and they're rich and they're what it means to be a scribe who is trained means we ask these questions without fear, with safety. This is the heart of what we talk about when we talk about being honest in our faith. Then it says the kingdom of heaven This is fascinating. It's used 55 times, the kingdom of heaven in the Gospel of Matthew. It's used 127 times in the whole New Testament, but other New Testament writers use kingdom of God. But to an ancient Jew, they wouldn't say the divine name. To say the name God is not okay because God is something that is mystery. God is something that is holy, that is other than. And so the Gospel of John will use the kingdom of God, the Gospel of Mark. But to to this Gospel of Matthew, they're sensitive that you don't say that name without sort of like taking your shoes off and reminding yourself you're on holy ground, right? And that's very helpful for us Christians who, um, who often say the name of God. And it's, not, it's okay to say God, it's okay to say Jesus, but they warn us, they teach us that when we speak of God, there, there is an uncertainty, there is a great mystery because remember we're these finite human beings and this is an infinite being of the universe. So to, when we speak of God, when we say God, says this, or I'm learning this, it's with much less confidence, right? With much humility, we talk of the things of God. And so it's, again, this conversational reality to Christian faith, this sort of back and forth of what we know about God and what we're learning about in our culture and this sort of synthesis of it. It's like faith is this ever-rising horizon of understanding, and we never quite get it all. The, the most troubling people that I have conversations with are people who say, I know everything there is to know about Christian faith. And people tell me that. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing um, to me. And they say, I've learned the message, I heard the message, I've got the message. And I'm like, okay. And, but, the, but I always worry for those people. But the people that are the most joy, these are people who talk to me like, um, Dale, Dale, I'm learning this. I'm curious about this about God. I have no idea how to think about this. This passage really troubles me, but isn't this wonderful that we can talk? Those are the people that are starting to get the hint of what the Gospel of Matthew is asking of us, the conversational nature. Every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven 
um, is like a master of a household. So it uses this really funny imagery here of a master of a household. And we all know, we all know those people who have a sort of like those men and those women who sort of, they know what's going on in their house. They know that their furnace is finicky or their, their trees need to be cut down. They're, they sort of have this like mastery over their household and over the, it's evoking this image in the ancient world of what the, uh, the vineyard needs more water. The vineyard needs less water. We need to do this in this right season. So it's calling for this sense of mastery, but it's applying it to this Christian life. Isn't that wonderful? This, this image of every one of us has this sort of like responsibility and role to have, um, to remind ourselves that Christian faith is always dynamic once again. That, um, that knowing God is always this ever-rising horizon with growth and with mystery and with new questions and with deep inspiration. And I find that that um, gives me great pause that like none of us have it all figured out, but we're all striving, we're all straining for that ever-rising horizon. And when you take this uh, kind of approach that this verse is calling for us, this conversational back and forth, it's absolutely freeing, isn't it? that you don't have to know everything to enter into a conversation and be like, I have always thought this way about that. And um, I don't know if you've ever met a person who is like, almost like in, in their curiosity, they're almost like, uh, they're so bold and courageous that it's, it brings life to a room, that they know nothing about a subject. They're like, well, I always thought this about it. And they know nothing, but it's like so life-giving because they just, they've put their ideas out there. The Gospel of Matthew is asking us to be okay with this conversational nature that God is someone who's all, almost unknown, but we can still know some things about the character of God and to continue out throughout our whole lives to ask these brave questions. What is God like? Is God loving and caring? What does God think about this issue or that issue? It's this great conversation that's at the heart of the Christian faith that the Gospel of Matthew is asking for us. Then it goes to this, this master, this one who sort of has this understanding, this humility about their approach to faith, it says that they bring out of, this, of his treasure. So treasure, this incredibly beautiful word, treasure in this sense is the, the scriptures, the songs of the church, the liturgy of the church. And the only story I have to tell you about this is um, treasures are all the things we've been given a faith that on one hand we think, ah, this is not so significant, but then they mean everything to us. And I, I've told you before, but when I was 16 years old, uh, my best friend's mom got me a Bible. And it was one of those like huge navy blue study Bibles that had like the gold, like flip through the pages, like here's where Matthew is, here's where Luke is. And it was huge and it was heavy. And I like super confess to you that I wanted a truck for my 16th birthday, right? And uh, my mom, and my mom was, my mom, my best friend's mom was like, here's a Bible. And I was like, Wow, and as a 16-year-old, you're like, this is not what I was hoping for, you know? And so literally, true story, uh, my dad did give me a truck, and I literally put the Bible in the same gift box in the back of the truck, like in the, in the side, and then the truck broke down like six months later, and I'm stand, stranded on the side of the road, and I whip open the Bible. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I remember like sitting on that curb as I'm waiting for someone to come help me with my truck, like, and I remember opening this Bible and like smelling its pages and like looking at what a gift it was and thinking like, I missed it in my naive 16 year old desire for a car. This is the treasure. And every one of us has these treasures of faith, things that our foremothers and forefathers has given to us to say, 
this is good. This will point you in the right direction. This doesn't answer all your questions and you're gonna still have to ask a ton of questions and be in conversation, but this is the treasure you've been given to help sort, to be a compass for the trajectory of your Christian faith. And so this scribe who has been trained up for the kingdom of heaven, it has some mastery, some discipline over what is going on in our world, what the faith teaches us, and they bring it forth to the world. The Gospel of Matthew says, at the heart of the Christian faith is a conversation. A conversation about what it means that we have these Jewish origins, what it means that Jesus came, showed us the way of life and died and raised a new life. And on the other hand, all the problems of human life, our loneliness and our fears and our pain. And the master of the household brings these out and is able to talk is able to share with people this great adventure called Christian faith. So he's able to sit at the table with his or her mother-in-law and describe how in one view of baptism, they used to think it meant about hell, but in now it's this gift of love, this gift of love and community that remembers God's work in a child's life. And so we could right now go uh, a million different places in the Gospel of Matthew, and I could give you examples of how this master of a household, this conversational nature at the heart of the Gospel of Matthew takes place. But we'd be here for like five more hours, and we're not gonna do that. But I wanna take one. The most exciting passage for any modern person is the genealogy, right? And so it starts off like this in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> On account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Are you excited about the genealogy in Matthew? And this wonderful genealogy goes on, and it goes on, but I want you to notice a few of these things. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and then Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And then lastly, all the way down this genealogy comes the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. And so in our world, genealogies are not the most exciting thing to read if they're not your own, right? We have people who love genealogies, but in our world, a genealogy is tracing exact family origins and history. In an ancient world, genealogy is the way they told stories. And so genealogy is the way they tell us, this is who Jesus is like. It's like this person and this, and every person in this genealogy has a history, has a story, and their life represents something. So what is being told from the beginning of Gospel of Matthew is there is a conversational nature to the life of Jesus. There is something to his character you need to know about. And so did you notice? There are five women named. And these five women, um, they, they are, they are women who have experienced great misfortune. So Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary. We could go through each woman and talk about the misfortune of their existence, the social stereotypes that were in effect, the way they experienced the blunted edge of life, the way they experienced disappointment, the way they were shaken up, by this life and the way they learned to fight back social prejudice and everything. These women are the women that are named in an ancient world. You don't name women. Plato does not name women in his discourses, but the Gospel of Matthew 
has named these women, and these are the women that would give birth to Jesus. These were all be inherited. This is his family line. This family line of women who learned that God was with them through misfortune. When things didn't work out the way they thought, when they were restless, they found ways to fight through and to find a God who was with them. So what this teaches us, this conversation right away is that God is like these risk-taking women. God gives a baby to the world that would one day be a king. So this, this outrageous claim that God is with those who are down and out, have been beaten down, who have felt disappointment in their life. This is a God who is for people, for real people, in their real human struggles. So this one passage, the first passage in the Gospel of Matthew, gives us a little insight in this conversational nature, this idea that this is a God who has come to dwell and be with us in the present who has come to absolutely resonate with what it means to be frail and to be fragile and to understand the disappointments and struggles we go through. Wow. And you have to understand that in all of ancient literature, this is not the way you talk about God. This is not the way Plato talks about God. Gods are otherworldly. Gods are far off, distant. This God comes to human flesh and time and is with us and lives in the reality of our pain and of our suffering. Gospel of Matthew invites us to see that Christian faith is about a conversation, about what it means to be human, a conversation about the structure of all reality. And we get to give our voice. We get to become scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven and who are like the master of a household, bringing out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I heard a poem this week um, by David White that really hit this home that the conversational nature of all reality and our opportunity in every moment to be connected to this great tradition of questions and answers and unknowns and beauty. And the poem goes like this. Everything is waiting for you. Your great mistake, your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the teeny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you, at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window lash grants your, you courage. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and to invite you. And the teeny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. The teeny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing. Even as it pours you a drink, the cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything, everything, everything is waiting for you. So if you bow your heads for me this morning, 
it's a paradigm shift for most of us to think that faith is about knowing right things, to make the shift to think that faith is about a conversation. The Gospel of Matthew invites you to bring your questions. And I wonder today if you have questions and if we can just give ourselves permission to have questions. Questions like, what do you really believe about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Questions about, how do you think about how Jesus changes your life? What, do you parent, what did your parents teach you about baptism, about what it meant to manage your finances? What troubles you about the Christian faith? What inspires you about Christian faith? What challenges you? What do you need to learn more about? God invites you to become a scribe in the kingdom of heaven.